Welcome to the Babysitter's Fight Club, where the first rule is, you don't talk about Fight Club. Instead, you talk about the battles fought and the lessons learned in the Babysitter's Club series of books by Anne M. Martin. I'm Brooke Sukamel, an editor who's revisiting these books after 30 years. And I'm KK Brady, a therapist and keytar enthusiast. <laughs> I'm just throwing it right out there from the beginning. Brooke's got a keytar and it's strapped a to her background. chest right now. I am indeed wearing a keytar, uh, which I'll prove at the moment. I don't know if you could hear that. Yes. Was that audible? I heard it. Okay, excellent. I heard Final Countdown magic. Yeah. I recently turned 40, and for my gift from KK and other great friends, I was granted a keytar, which is... It's like my dream. I opened it yes. and I kind of my brain stopped working briefly because <laughs> I was like, this is a keytar. It can't be a keytar. <laughs> and yet it is. I'm right. I could never be so fortunate as to be amongst the keytar owners of the world. <laughs> and I am. I am. So the lesson there. Keytar owners fight club. Absolutely. You got to start it. I mean, the lesson there is never give up on your dreams. If you are a young child out there who dreams of owning a keytar one day, if you're very own and you think that that is beyond reach, just hang in there. Keep striving for that keytar because one day you too could be able to play the final countdown whenever the mood strikes, like, you know, right now. It's really yes. satisfying. It, you know, whenever you're having a bad it day. It looks amazing. Yeah, this, so this is my emotional support keytar. This goes with me everywhere <laughs> um, because I found that it is really remarkable at turning a mood around very quickly, I love at it. least for me. Maybe you could program it to have sounds. So that'll be like our soundboard. There you go. It's my keytar strapped to my chest. It'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I need to program fart noises into my keytar. So yeah, that's going to be... All, <laughs> and they'll all just be my voice mimicking sounds. How about That's that? great. So fart sounds made by KK's mouth on my guitar. <laughs> just like a hundred different versions. I can't wait. This is going to be really fun. The programming of this is going to be fun. So that's something for us to look forward to. But at the moment, we will not be programming fart noises into my guitar during this episode. I'm sorry for anybody who was hoping for that. Instead, what we're going to do is what we normally do, which is discuss the Babysitter's Club series of books in historical context. So this episode, we're discussing book 20, Christy and the Walking Disaster, a.k.a. Christy's Crushers. <laughs> the moment KK has been waiting for. Waiting for? For months. My whole life. Seriously. So Christy and the Walking Disaster introduces Christie's Crushers. And this was published in January of 1989. So as we always do, let's start by putting this book into historical context with a little pop culture history from January 1989. The music. We had a couple of number ones. The one that was the longest number one this month was Phil Collins's Two Hearts. Mm. However, the one that I got very excited about is Bobby Brown's My Prerogative. Oh, yeah. Which is just the best. I love that song so much. Your your face lit up. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great video. The dancing is second to none. A lot of hammer type throwing of legs, which was like, was and is my dancing specialty. The throwing of the leg. That's your move? Yeah, just kind of like the legs going everywhere. 
the running man. You know, I'm I'm in kind of a constant running man, a low grade running man all the time. And then, you know, I'll throw a side leg in there. So you feel understood by the My Prerogative video. I mean, I probably it's probably more accurate to say I was created by the My Prerogative (laughs) video and other videos of its ilk. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. It's that concert performance video. Yeah. There's also some great, I mean, the legs are great. The shoulders, we can't neglect the shoulders. There's great shoulder action happening in that video. And I come from a people that dances with no shoulders. I mean, (laughs) you know, the number one rule of jigging is don't move your shoulders. So when you saw the My Prerogative video, you were like, wait a minute, there's a whole new world of dance that you had not conceived of. Okay, so I was in Ireland once at my aunt's farm and she, I mean, first of all, her brogue was so heavy, you could barely understand it. But she said to me, she said, can you jive? And I was like, what? She's like, can you jive? All you Americans, you could jive. And what she meant was, can you dance? And I was like, well, I I guess I can dance. And then later we went out to a club in Dublin. We went into the city and there were the worst fucking dancers I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and I started dancing and literally like three people came up to me and were like, so are you a professional dancer then? (laughs) And I think it's the shoulders. I think, you know, in America, you learn how to dance with shoulders. You learn how to use your whole body. And in Ireland, the poor things can only jick. So when you try to do like modern dance there, they can't do it. They just they got no shoulders available to them. Waist down only. That's right. Up above is just rigid. Just lock everything in place. Stop the fuck with those feet. Well, that's probably where I got all my leg skills, honestly. So it's like I have the leg skills down. Once you gave me the shoulders, I was unstoppable. Thank you, Bobby Brown. Thank you, Bobby Brown. For the shoulders. For making this Irish girl a professional dancer. She's the toast of Dublin. <laughs> One young KK Brady. Thanks to Bobby Brown's My Prerogative Dublin. video. They're like, are you a professional dancer? You're like, no, I've just seen the My Prerogative video. Have you not had the My Prerogative video not made its way across the pond? Let's rectify that immediately. Let's all watch it. Now we can all dance. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So those were the number one singles, but... Also that month, we had two huge albums that I think were foundational to you and I, respectively. I think we each had a big album that was released in one day, which was January 24th. So we started off with Debbie Gibson's Electric Youth that day. So we've discussed that in previous episodes. Yes. So that, you know, brought about that album and all of the corresponding merch, which included obviously the perfume... That is legendary. And then she also had like a makeup line, I guess. So Electric Youth was a big deal. And KK, this is where you get Skid Row's self-titled debut album. Yes. 18 in Life. Yeah, 18 in Life was on that one. So both of those albums came out the same day. So no matter what side Whether you were a Brooke or a KK, (laughs) you got something this day. Movies, there wasn't shit. It's January. Nothing good comes out. Yeah, true. Everybody was just watching Rain Man, which cleaned up at the Golden Globes that month. On TV, the Arsenio Hall show premiered in January of 89. But then the other big event on TV was obviously the Super Bowl. This was a Joe Montana winning team. So the Niners beat the Bengals. But that's not what I wanted to talk about in this particular intro. The halftime show of the Super Bowl was in 3D. And yeah, I remember this. You remember this? Yeah. Do you remember what they did? No. I remember everybody trying to get the glasses, securing the glasses, getting excited about the event. 
Uh, do I remember what happened? No, it's not there. Okay. Probably for the best. I'm so excited to warn you of this. <laughs> so yes, it was a big deal leading up to the Super Bowl that they would have this halftime show in 3D. Coca-Cola sponsored it because they had the first 3D commercial. It was for Diet Coke. And yeah. so you could get a set of the cardboard 3D glasses with like a six pack. It was sold in yes. store. So so you secured your bag by getting Diet Somehow. Coke. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Even though I hated Diet Coke and I hate it to this day, I'm sure I sacrificed and threw it in the trash. Because you needed those glasses so badly. Yes. So the glasses were for a halftime show that was titled Bebop Bamboozled. <laughs> this is literally the name of it. So we're not yet at the Beyonce level no. Prince no. level of Super Bowl halftime shows yet. No, we are at the level of a magician named Elvis Presto doing wow. the quote biggest ever card trick. This was what was done in the 3D. You can watch this halftime show on YouTube. It is adorable. They were so hyped about this. And this magician, Elvis Presto, who apparently turns out it was just this solid gold dancer who was the choreographer for the show. And this guy that they hired to play Elvis Presto booked a Lee Jeans commercial and bailed three days before the game. So they were like, <laughs> hey, choreographer, can you play this role? And they were like, sure. There was no like singing of any Elvis songs or anything. It was just like, oh, what car do you want? Like that. <laughs> And he had like backup dancers who were dressed kind of like the Supremes that were like throwing records at the camera. So that's like what was 3D was like a record coming towards you. And then they had these like rotating cards. They asked everybody in the stadium to clap for their favorite card of four options. There's four cards and who like whichever card gets applauded for the loudest is the winning card. And the cards to choose from were the Jack of Clubs, the Three of Diamonds, the Two of Spades, and the King of Hearts. Of those options, which card do you think everybody applauds the most for? King of Hearts. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's a real mystery there, what people are going to pick, right? It's like a shitty two, a shitty three. Yeah. And so then the crowd was instructed to hold up their seat cushions. Which supposedly... <laughs> yeah, I totally you remember, remember that? this. Yes. I, I, this is a vague memory. All of it. So I'll link to it. I'll post it on our social media because so supposedly when they hold up their seat cushions, it's supposed to make like a K with the heart. It's completely invisible. You can't see shit. <laughs> and they roll out a king face on the field. And that is what had to be in 3D. So do you remember like watching that and feeling any kind of way? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm telling you, it is a vague memory, but no, I don't remember having any feeling. I must have been underwhelmed. I think the world Even was collectively then. underwhelmed. I think that set 3D technology back about a decade. It was a simpler time. We could be entertained by non-existent card tricks. Exactly. As long as it made us buy Diet Coke, we were happy. And then events-wise, we had Reagan leaving office. Yay! <laughs> that makes Brooke feel like this. <laughs> That's a final countdown moment. That's a jump moment. But he was replaced by Dad Bush, which makes Brooke feel like that. <laughs> you know, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Dad Bush. I don't know. I'm thinking about that in a different context. And it's funny. <laughs> it's funny in any context. We laugh so we don't cry. <laughs> Dad Bush. Yeah. 
And I hate to break this to you, KK, but Starlight Express closed on Broadway after 761 performances, half of which you were at, correct? (laughs) You only saw half of them. (laughs) Give or take. Okay. So this is the world in which the 20th book in the Core Babysitters Club series, Christy and the Walking Disaster, was released. And it's time for some back cover copy. And I quote, they're lean, mean. They're the pride of Stony Brook. Who are they? They're Christy's crushers. (laughs) (laughs) When Christy sees how much her little brothers and sister want to play on a softball team, she starts a ragtag team of her own. Maybe Christie's crushers aren't world champions. How could they be with Jackie Radowski walking disaster playing for them? That's kind of shitty. I think the two and a half year old is probably a greater liability than Jackie Radowski. But anyway, sure. But nobody beats them when it comes to team spirit. Now Bart's bashers have challenged the crushers to a real live game. It's bad enough that the bashers truly are lean and mean. But what's worse is that Christie has a crush on the bashers coach. A crush with a capital C, end quote. KK, any key plot points that you think were overlooked there in the back cover copy or did that cover it? Well, I mean, they don't get into the sort of battle that the two of them have Mm -hmm. over the teams. So Bart's bashers come to check out Christy's team and they like pick on them. They make fun of a kid who's hearing impaired. They make fun of a fat kid. They're jerks. They're awful. They're awful. They're really terrible. Which is so 80s. Yeah. It's one of the more 80s moments in this book is Bart's bashers. But I think that's all that I missed. Any plot points you think they missed? I mean, I think that pretty much covers it because there really wasn't much happening in this book besides baseball. Yeah. Well, I love that you said softball. Baseball. Softball. Softball. Because (laughs) fucking A. Are they pitching overhand? I think Ann Martin does not understand that softball is an underhand pitch. Well, and I'm also like, hold on. T-ball was a thing in 1989. Why in the world? So to set the groundwork, Christie's Crushers are kids that are between two and a half. It's insane. Two and a half years old. To eight. She says that the average age of a player on her team is 5.8 years old. Like she breaks that down and references (laughs) it a couple of times. All right. So this is where I think we figure out what kind of lesbian Anne Emma is. And it's not the sporty kind. (laughs) Because not only are they pitching overhand, which you never do in softball, it's very hard to pitch a softball overhand. And you definitely can't do it when you're (laughs) 5.8. Not not only that. She has fucking Claire batting fourth in the batting order. <laughs> I love that Are you, you like, out broke of your down, mind. I love that you broke down her coaching choices. <laughs> That's delightful. Well, these are just things that jumped out at me as like, this person has never played softball. <laughs> you have Claire fourth? Uh-uh. You get Matt in fourth. Matt is fourth. <laughs> so this book is really like, this is why KK, you're able to break down the th- flaws in her coaching decisions because this book is like we have five chapters of just practice yes out of 15 chapters in the book it's a lot of softball and then we have two chapters of the actual like ultimate game that's referenced in the back cover copy 
we have another chapter of, we have a couple other chapters of little like one-off practice fun games that are sort of spontaneously happening. I mean, the vast majority of chapters in this book are just describing, it's like play-by-play. Yes, literally. I mean, we're all getting some life lessons too. I mean, obviously there's life lessons happening and then (sighs) we're going to have to go into the fact that you know, of course, it's the gayest topic that uh, this book series tackles yet, a softball team. So, of course, there has to be a huge beard in it, which is <laughs> Bart's Beards. He should be Bart's Beards. Right. That's that's what the team should be called. Which would be wonderful because his team, so Christy's team, Christy's Crushers, with the exception of like David Michael and Karen and Andrew, these kids are made up of like babysitters, club charges. So they're pretty much all public school kids, again, with just a couple of very close to home exceptions. And they're all from the not bougie part of town, whereas Bart's bashers are 10 year olds from the rich part of town. So I think that it is very appropriate to have to put them into the you are beards. That is the role that you play the superior feeling rich kids who just show up to just shit all over every other kid. I know it's really absurd. And like, who the fuck feels good about beating a two and a half year old? First of all, a two and a half year old can't even hold a bat. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. Christy needed to like call a shot because not only is there a two and a half year old, there's multiple four year olds as well. No, we got little kids. I was a camp counselor. I was a camp counselor to four year olds. They can't play any sports. I mean, you're lucky if they can sort of catch a tennis ball when you like loft it to them really slowly. There's no way they're playing softball. (laughs) Nor should they. I mean, they describe how Jamie Newton, who again is four, the 10 year old from Bart Bashers is just shocking, like straight as head pitches like right on where this four year old is having to constantly duck. And nobody intervenes. Nobody <laughs> intervenes. They're not wearing helmets I'm either. I'm sure they're not wearing helmets. Oh, no. right. They can't. They barely have uniforms. They buy T-shirts and they iron on letters. Yep. So they definitely don't have those fancy batter's hats with their ear protected. There's no, there's no protection happening there. There is just potential death. I mean, that's what, <laughs> the fact that every single member of Christie's team survives, I think is, is a victory. I think that in and of itself is the real victory here. But yeah, you're right. Like, this is the chapter where Christie, in her words, decides that she has a gigantic crush, capital G, mm-hmm. capital C, on Bart. She says it is a decision that she makes. I get you, girl. I have made similar decisions in my life. And, you know, you really have to persevere with those decisions. Uh huh. But that's how it goes. That's how it goes when you're a young lesbian. You're like, eh, that guy. I mean, I guess there's something about him I like. Okay, he's it. He's it. I'm going to be attracted to this guy. Right. By hook or by crook. So did you have any similar experiences that come to mind when you were Christy's age? Well, I could read about sports all day long because that's all I was doing was playing sports. I didn't play softball. I definitely played baseball until I was forced to play softball on organized teams. Oh, that's right, because that's what girls have to play. Yeah, you couldn't play baseball. And I I actually wanted to try out for the baseball team, but they wouldn't let me. So definitely playing softball and then also, you know, having a beard, trying to force an attraction to uh, some guy. And usually it was some guy that I was playing sports with. Mm-hmm. in some capacity and hanging out with daily. So yeah, definitely relatable. That was the part that I was 
I sort of unpacked throughout where it's like she's Bart curious, I think. <laughs> where just I just thought that the language of it was a decision, you know, that that is how it's introduced. And then at the end, it kind of seems like she's like, eh. you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you get that feeling, too? Yeah, definitely. And they kind of tried to couch that in, oh, she wasn't sure, you know, what she saw from him behaviorally, right, about whether or not he was really a good guy. But mm-hmm. yeah, there was definitely some ambivalence. Also, interestingly enough, when she describes why she's attracted to him, again, it was his hair, something about his hair, either looking like a movie star or looking like he just stepped out of a salon or something. Yeah, it looked like he got his hair done, potentially. Yeah. So again, when we when we hear female characters described, it's always like luscious breasts and like hot (laughs) bodies. And then when we hear men described, it's like he looked like a movie star. He looked like he just got his hair done. Yeah. Or his like deep brown eyes, which we know is the color of her eyes and also Marianne's eyes like that gets Mm -hmm. brought up not long before she's rhapsodizing about his deep brown eyes. Yeah. So she likes brown eyes. But perhaps not in Bart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you've got brown eyes. I like brown eyes. That's that's all <laughs> you need. I might be right? able to pretend you're Marianne. Right. <laughs> Maybe we'll just like really dim the lights and I'll squint real good. And But yeah, the, the whole point about whether or not he's, you know, a good guy. I mean, what's your take on that question? Hmm. I mean, to me, that character is just not fleshed out. Yeah. So it's just hard to have a take. He just doesn't really ring true. He doesn't come across as a full character the way that the characters in the Babysitter Club does. Again, he comes across as a beard. Yeah. Like he has a specific purpose and the purpose is for Christy, right? It's for Christy to have a romantic love interest. It's for Christy to have a competitor that is challenging the crushers who she, you know, reaches a good place with. Right. Right. So it's just so hard to say because it's almost like he doesn't he doesn't really get to live on his own as a person. He's kind of like Shannon that way. Yeah, there's a role to play. There's a foil to operate against in some way. Exactly. He's a foil. And also his behavior one way or the other sometimes seems maybe egregious, but it's ambiguous. You know, does he know? Is he watching them pick on? Is he distracted? I mean, you just don't get enough information about this guy. And it's so convenient. Right. It's very like how convenient for him. So first of all, what the fuck is he doing showing up at their practice? You don't do that. Yeah. And he's like, you don't do that. This is is legal. You can do this. What is is he talking about legal? This is a fucking neighborhood like mom and pop softball league. There are no legal and illegal maneuvers. There's a dick move, which you just did. Exactly. (laughs) So he gets 10 of his players who, again, they're 10. And he also says, like, they're not good enough yet or not big enough yet to play Little League. Like, there's something about them where this is the only way that they can play. And so it's almost like they are even bigger assholes because they feel like they have been rejected. Right. And so it's like they're like, oh, great. Now we feel like we've been punched down on. And again, these are the bougie kids from the private school. So like they're coming up in a world where they feel like, you know, we're the ones on top. We should get whatever we want. And then it's like, well, you're not good enough to actually make the Little League team, which I didn't realize that was a thing. But you're right. There was T-ball. I mean, they would be in T-ball before Little League. And T-ball is great because there is no pitching. Right. Right. Like and you can't handle a pitch. First of all, a six-year-old can't even pitch a softball pitch underhand. 
Mm-hmm. You can't you can't even do it. It's actually quite hard to do. <laughs> Here I am. I'm getting back to the fucking softball semantics again. You're falling asleep. <laughs> it's like enough already. God damn enough with the batting order. and the. No, but I love see. So for me, as I was reading it, I was like, OK, this is boring to me. I wonder if it's boring to KK. <laughs> It was not boring. And to I'm me. seeing that the answer is no. Yeah. I felt <laughs> but I was that it probably not amused. I was so amused because I was definitely picking up right away. Oh, like this person did not play softball. And somehow I'm wondering how did she learn? You know, did she get a friend? Uh did she read a book? Was this the tryout for the ghostwriters that would come along later on? Did <laughs> she, they find some She got like a super sporty lesbian softball loving ghostwriter? And then they started dating. That's what I'm gonna pretend oh, happened. So you're seeing you're seeing a love story behind the scenes <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> I'm seeing a love story behind the story, and it's Anne M and her super butch ghostwriter, who's like an amazing softball player. So it says this book, it's dedicated to the members of the lunch club. Oh, maybe the lunch club was a local New York City lesbian <laughs> softball team who broke this down for her. Or have you seen the movie Carol? Yes. Maybe it's a glove lunch. <laughs> it's just a different kind of glove lunch. You're bringing your softball glove. There you go. See, I love that. It's all coming together. You can see there's a couple of useful tips. There's like baseball slash softball slash whatever ball that's coming at you. And vice. Wiffle ball. They did have wiffle balls. Yes. Who needed the wiffle ball? The two and a half year old. Yeah. Who shouldn't be playing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What are you doing? Puts her up to bat first, too. So that everybody who bats behind her has to like, how the hell is she going to get on base? Okay, so you're, Brooke, thank you. Your inherent intelligence and logic as a person is starting to pay dividends. You put your best batters first. Finally, this is where it pays off. (laughs) You put your best batters first, second, third, fourth. Mm -hmm. Duh, because you put a two-year-old, the two-year-old's not going to, you're going to be out and you got to get the momentum going. Well, but they make it so that she's not out. So that she definitely makes it to base. But then now she has to make it around all of the other bases with people running behind her. That's a very stress. Like reading that stressed me out so much. <laughs> I mean, two and a half like, year olds. She's going over. Some of them, you know, have not been walking for too long. Right. And certainly have not been running for too long, depending on the two and a half year old. Yeah, this one, this one doesn't quite pan out, but (laughs) she does give coaching advice. So you see Christy giving like it starts off like the very first chapter. This is yet another of Christy's great idea, right? Because the whole thing starts off with her step siblings and her little brother They want to play baseball, but they don't have anywhere to do that. And so she's kind of like coaching them. And then they're like, well, I think that there's a bunch of other little kids in the neighborhood that would love to. So she just sort of comes up with this idea to get her own little team together to just have fun. It's like they're not in a league or anything like that. It's just yeah, it's very Christy too to just make it happen. Super casual. Right. And so the coaching tips that she's giving both before and after she starts the team You get keep your eye on the ball for both catching and hitting. Yeah, solid. You get close the glove around the ball after you catch it, which seems obvious. (laughs) Seems obvious, but she's coaching two and a half year olds. (laughs) And then you get run toward the ball. Don't wait for it to come to you. So you get like really this is your first exposure to the concept of baseball, softball, whatever. Like Mm -hmm. you are an alien that has come to Stony Brook. And you don't know what sports is. 
And so Christy is going to convey a couple of key points to know about (laughs) sports. There you go. Those are the coaching tips that you get in this book. But obviously, that's not the overall message. But, you know, I think what they're trying to do is just show you like Christy has, you know, she's athletic. She's picked up some pieces of advice through playing sports. And now she wants to take on a mentorship position where she can sort of translate the lessons that she's learned onto other kids because she's comfortable leading young children. So it's sort of like a natural evolution for her. Yeah. And I think Christy... I think Christy and Watson both come out great in this book. They do. You know, Christy's shining. She's at her best. And I love it because that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes I feel like some books, I don't buy the Christy character. She really veers for me off of what other books are creating. But in this book, it's like I really saw Christy and I believed this, right? Christy is the kind of person that is seeing that need creating that safe space for the kids and also being able to sort of translate her advanced skill into really simple things like you're saying little building blocks so i thought that was cool and then also the the life lessons that she's giving and getting from watson about you know it's really about being loyal to your team it's really about trying hard it's about getting better it's not about winning so i loved christy in this book it was one of my favorite christy books yeah And I also loved Watson. And it was the first time, I swear, in all of the 20 babysitters books that we've read where the parenting lessons were great. It was neither too hands off nor micromanaging. Right. It was like a great level of parenting where Watson is there when she needs him. He's not, you know, making anything worse. He's making things better. He's just a great resource for her. So I thought it was really nice to see some really positive parenting. And it was interesting to me that it came through sports. Yeah. And that it came through the stepdad. Yes. You know, that wasn't something that I've really thought through until now as you're talking about it and how, you know, in a lot of books, we talk about the problems that we see with parenting or (laughs) lack of parenting. Yeah. Throughout. Because we see parenting where it's like you can see that the parents are trying. Right. Like not to say that we don't have empathy for the majority of parents that we see in these books, with a few exceptions. Like there are a few characters where we're like, this is just straight up bad parenting. I don't know that they're trying. I don't know that this person actually wants to be a parent. Like Mrs. Barrett is a person who I'm like, you know, hopefully if the Mrs. Barrett's of today realize that child free by choice is a totally valid (laughs) decision to make for your life. And they're not having kids that they seem like they don't want because, you know, being a mother doesn't seem to really be a goal for them. And that's 100 percent okay. But, you know, for the most part, we see parents who seem to, you know, love their kids and want what's best for their kids, but they haven't been armed with either the resources or the knowledge or the skills to be able to really support them in the way that today, you know, we hope that parents know this is, you know, how to support their kids. And we do see it like this is maybe the first sort of example of parenting that holds up today. Yeah, I totally agree. In this book. I totally agree. And it comes from the stepfather who in the very first book appears and it's very clear Christy doesn't want him around. Yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with him at first. Right. And, you know, to be fair, Anna Martin 
doesn't write Watson in this sort of stereotypical way that you would expect to see like a step parent written in the 80s. He's not. Who's the other dude? Tad? Todd? Oh, Trip? <laughs> trip? The Trip Man? Trip the Drip? Well, oh, Trip the, the trip, trip Man? No, Trip the Trip Man. Don's, He's Don's not the mom's trip boyfriend? Man. Yeah. yeah. No, like he always is written as being somebody who is like loves his kids and is there. Solid. And, yeah, he seems like a solid dude, but we don't see a whole lot of him. Like we see him making overtures to Christy and, you know, we don't necessarily see much that's ever problematic from Watson, but we don't also see a whole lot that would make you go like, oh yeah, this guy really gets it. Yeah. And I thought that was a cool, it's a cool arc because that's almost a positive intervention from Watson mm-hmm. that he's not overtly you know, he's giving Christy space and time and he's really been pretty expert at this from the beginning. Yeah. Right. We don't see it. So it's it's hard to notice it. But in this book, I really noticed it thinking, oh, interesting. You know, when you think about Watson, he really took it easy and gave Christy that space and time. And then when she needs him, he's there. And, you know, he's got the support that she needs at the right moment after they've been living together for a while. And to your point, you see that she's willing to go to him. So she's the one that reaches out to him. Right. So she reaches out to him like, I want to start this softball team. Can you help me with logistics and organization? And he's really happy that she reaches out to him and he 100 percent steps up to do that. So, yeah, to your point, he has spent the last 20, 21 with the super special books building up that trust. And we're at a point now where Christy, where it's real. It's not like him trying too hard and Christy having to like lash out against that. You know, he's just been there in a way that she hasn't seen from a father figure. Like, you know, she mentions that even though Dawn, her family is split up now and the sort of the empathy that she has for Dawn with her brother moving away and all of that and how she can relate because her brother's now in California and Christy's dad ran off to California and that she never sees him, but that she feels luckier than Dawn because she has a new family now. So it's like my dad was never there for me anyway and has just taken off and wants nothing to do with us anymore. But like I love my family now. So she's able to settle in. And so I think that kids reading this that are going through, as we've talked a lot about, like in the 80s, you had a lot of kids whose parents were getting divorced, remarried. Chances were really high that a kid reading this book was going through something similar. Yeah, or a best friend. Totally. Or someone very close to them. Or even if they're not going through it, you know, when you see all of your friends' parents getting divorced or separated or remarried, you're thinking, well, what if that happens in my family? So it's just it was just a reality that I think was on most kids' minds. So to see an example of like, and this worked out for this main character, and we've sort of seen that arc from the get-go, I think is really positive that it's sort of like giving kids reading this some hope. If only every (laughs) blended family situation was as comfortable as what we see here in this book. But it is good to see an example of that. But yeah, we see that like she feels like she can go to Watson, she said, you know, because she references advice and things that he's done in the past. And so on page 102, she said, once I was giving him, him being Watson, the news that I'd gotten a C plus on a math test. 
Now, a C-plus is not a bad grade, but I usually get mostly A's and a few B's. Watson looked thoughtful and asked, did you study for this test? Did you do your best? Yes, I answered, honest. It's just that we're doing pre-algebra now and it's really hard. Your best is all you can expect, said Watson. If you want, I'll give you some extra help. But since you did your best, I'm not disappointed. I'm proud of you. And then she says, I would like some help. And so she feels like she can trust him. She feels like she'll be understood and not judged in a way, you know, if she's if she's trying her hardest. And so that's the message. You see her conveying that message to the crushers. And so that's what she says. Just do your best. And so that comes up over and over and over again. She's saying, just try. Yeah, it's such a brilliant parenting strategy because... You know, it's taking the locus of control for the child from an external source that they can't control to something much more genuine and reflected in themselves. And it's actually a challenging approach because the kid has to ask themselves, how did I do? Was this my best? So it's actually harder to figure that out than to reach for the brass ring or get the A, right? Like it's actually harder to think of who are you? What do you want? What did you achieve? And did you do your best? It's like giving the child agency and that agency will last a lifetime and can produce very positive things for human beings versus you got to win always an A, like everybody, you know, the, whatever brass ring somebody puts in front of you, you grab that. Right. It shifts you into a mentality where you can translate that lesson into other circumstances. Yes. Because it's if it's like a matter of I have to get A's in math, then it's like your goal is to get an A in math. Your goal is this like ultimate grade that next year is gone. And then you get into a world where now you're not just taking classes and shooting for a particular grade that somebody else bestows upon you. And it's not like a, I'm good at math so I can get A's. I'm not good at, let's say, music. And so I'm not going to, you know, try as hard because I'm not as good at that. I need to focus on my good, right? Instead of it being like, look, the goal here is to try things and to give it your best. That's how you sort of go through life. And if you go through life that way, as opposed to I'm trying to like get this tangible result that is out of my control because somebody else is going to grant that to me, it really sets you up for a lot of disappointment and confusion. Yeah, and it also sets you up for a limited life because if your goal is to get A's, then you are going to only pick the situations where you feel you can get an A. Yeah. And so now you can't fail. And kids that can't fail, are kids that suffer a lot. Yeah. Right? Because they can't do things that are really hard. They can't do things they might really want to try because they don't know if they're good at it, right? And so that's why, like, all the parenting has moved from, you know, praise the result to praise the effort, right? Praise the, you really tried. You put so much work into this. I really love the way you work and you persevere, right? Like, that that will create resilient kids. But if you praise the A's or the results, then kids are going to start only taking on challenges that they feel they could crush. Right. And I feel this so hard. I feel like you're setting me up for my therapy appointment later on today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, and a lot of people suffer from this and a lot of female people, especially. This was absolutely, at least in my experience, 
Watson's message was not the common message in our time in the 80s. No, 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 no. It was and in the fact, performance. it's not even today. Yeah. I mean, it's getting more today, but this is a lot of like when you're guiding parents and parenting, you're teaching parents this. Mm-hmm. Um, most parents today don't know this, right? They're praising the results, the A's, that kind of thing. Right. And again, that's something that that is time limited. You are going to get Mm. into a world where there will be no more grades. And how do you find your sense of validation and purpose if there's no more GPA? to strive yep. for, right? You've got to find other goals. And and so I think what Watson is modeling here is what now is referred to as, you know, a growth mindset. So the focus yeah. is on the progress and not so much like you have this inherent ability. I mean, I think that was the good thing with Christy. Like you see, most of the kids that Christy is working with don't have a natural ability for sports. Some of these kids do, but they're either too young, like Nikki Pike is too young. He's like her star pitcher, but he's too young to go out for Little League yet. Matt Braddock, same. He's really good, but he's also deaf. So he's working with some other, you know, he needs different accommodations that Christy is willing to provide and that we see like the way that the bashers show up and just like make fun of this kid for being deaf, call him a dummy. Society would not have been super accommodating to him at that time. And so he finds that accommodation with Christy. So she's willing to sort of, you know, she kind of has like a bad news bears-esque sort of total bad news softball team. But it's all about that teamwork. It's about that progress. And these kids are going to be set up. Like if she continues through and if the kids stick with it and if they internalize these lessons they're going to be set up so much better for happiness than those kids that are focused on like Bart Spashers where it's like we have to win yeah because I don't know I can't remember if I've mentioned this before but like you know so much research has been done and I had an author who did research in this area that shows that like the key to happiness is continuous incremental progress. Mm-hmm. You think that the end result is what's going to make you happy and it doesn't because your life continues past that result. And so it's why you get like high school football stars that go on to just be angry and miserable because their glory days are behind them. Because to them, it's all about when I had this accomplishment, this achievement, that was when I was happy. And I can't have that accomplishment, that achievement anymore. So I can't be happy. And it's like, no, 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 no. It was in the growth. It was in the new experiences. It was in the progress that you were making that you were happy. And so you've got to focus on that and not the end result. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. Yep. And Christy's very focused on the process and Bart's team is much more focused on the results to the point where he brings 10 children across town to crash a softball practice. So you don't up. crash practice. You scout at games. You don't scout at practice dickhead. And you certainly don't bring 10 kids that you then set free to taunt. To mock yeah. people with disabilities. I mean, good lord. Ridiculous. And then it's like, oh, I was so focused on your team that I wasn't paying it. Fuck you, Bart. Like, fuck you for so many reasons. I mean, it was just like total asshole behavior. And where is it coming from? It's coming from the, oh, we can't lose to this team. And he said he brought his team there so that they could see that they didn't have anything to worry about. 
That was his purpose, uh, which is like yeah. even worse exactly. coaching. It's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, where it's like, right? oh, it's don't exactly worry, they what suck. We're about. Come see how much they suck so that you won't sweat this game. What coach does that? It's true. And it's making me realize, you know, the lesson, the sort of positive end of that me- lesson we heard from Watson. We're getting an example of the negative end of that lesson. Exactly. Right. Of the people that they have been taught that it's about winning and it's about achievement. And so anything they do to facilitate that winning and achievement is okay, including mocking, playing, destroying a group of like five-year-olds. Right. Chucking softballs at the head of a four-year-old, you know, like whatever it takes to win this game that counts for nothing. You gotta do for that W. (laughs) God. But it does show that sort of... But that's very 80s. It it is. And it's very... I mean, today, it's that sort of win-at-all-costs culture that, like, we're still in. I think a lot of people are trying to get out of it. maybe even more so. But this country is, like, that is sort of the overriding, like, definition of America. It's, like, do whatever it takes to be number one. Even if you're not number one, tell yourself that you're number one. Tell yourself you don't have to worry about something else because you're so great. And all that ends up doing is it just ends up ensuring that you don't progress in any way. And it just makes really unhappy humans. It does. We don't live in a happy country. (laughs) So thinking of the Breakfast Club, you got to win, Andrew. We won't tolerate losers in this family. (laughs) Breakfast Club. Yes. That I have seen. Yeah. I that mean, reference that's I did quintessential get. 80s. I do think that, like, it's good that they show sort of the flip side of two different approaches to the same scenario, the same situation, you know? And you see that Christie's team, they lose, but they leave happy. Yes. They leave better people, too. Yeah. Right. They leave elevated. Absolutely. They've elevated each other. They've elevated themselves. Right. And hopefully their next game will be against another team. Or if it's not, hopefully Bart won't be the umpire. <laughs> was there an umpire? He was, Bart was the umpire. I guess I thought he was just pretending to be the no. umpire. She said he was the umpire. <laughs> that does not ring true for Christy. <laughs> no. Do you think Christy would let that happen? Hell Please. no. Please. Under no circumstances. And then she'd have a solution ready. You know, she'd be like, oh, blah, 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 is going to umpire. Right. I hired them. We're paying them. Unless maybe we're supposed to believe she lets it slide because she has such a crush on a boy. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Gotta secure Can that you beard. See the cover? I'm just saying. She... I actually didn't see the cover because oh, I read it. Oh. Can you oh, show okay, it? Okay, I know. I, I meant to... <laughs> God. Like, Christy knows who she Christy's is. Christy's looking very comfortable and confident. She's very uh, comfortable and confident. Yeah, she looks older. That's the other interesting thing. They, You know, they always talk about, oh, she looks so young, blah, 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 because she dresses young. It's interesting that in this cover, you know, she's ostensibly still dressed very young in sweatpants and a softball t-shirt. And yeah, she looks quite a bit older. She, she looks very confident, like she knows who she is. And I think that they're doing that because on the rest of the cover, you've got nine young children who are players. And so the artist is probably really trying to differentiate to make it very clear that she's older. And so for that reason, Christy is aged up on this cover, I would say, in a way that we don't see in other covers. But yeah, no, that is that is the face of a confident lesbian who is very proud of the team. Yeah, Yeah. the the team that she's assembled. And I love this for Christy. This is Christy's future. And I love that for her. (laughs) We're seeing Christy Christy, in the future. you go. You go. Christy's going to like 
you know, coach the softball team at Amherst or something. Yeah. That's what I see. She's going to go coach the softball team at Smith. Good for her. Good for her. (laughs) Did you define sort of what they were fighting? I had a hard time defining it when I was reading it, but now I think I would say they're fighting that sort of like win at all costs culture. Yeah. How about you? I had that they were fighting others' expectations Mm, of them. Good one. You know, that sort of dismissal of this team isn't going to be very good Mm -hmm. and also sort of fighting the gap that they have between their aspirations and both their experience and their innate talent. Yes, They want to be good. It's not that the players are like, we're just having fun and we don't want to improve. No, they really want to be good. But they also seem to know that like, and she teaches them like, this is going to be a process. Like you're, you're learning. And so then the tool that they use is constant practice. (laughs) This book is basically narration of softball practice. And then in Bart's words, dedication, like their dedication is noticed and called out you know, their dedication to the team, their dedication to each other. That's really what they use to combat those low expectations. And also the fact that they aren't where they want to ultimately be. Yeah, I think it's so well put. And I would also add mindset. Mm -hmm. And this comes from Watson. It's sort of the explicit mindset. Again, the growth mindset, the positive mindset, the mindset of do your best. I feel like that more than anything, is the tool they use most. And it's so nice to see it because that's what sports did for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I feel like most of my, a lot of my personality came from sports and, like, all of my ability to succeed at, like, any of the jobs that I ever had, it all came from sports because that's the mindset that I was taught in sports. And sports, it's like, if you don't have a mindset in sports, You can go off the rails so fast because there's a lot of aggression in it. There's trying, there's wanting, and there's scores, right? Like every things are not open to interpretation. There is a confrontation. Yes, yes. (laughs) And so it's like the mindset is so important in sports because all of those things need to be managed and they don't get managed without the proper mindset. And then you take that mindset with you into like anything you do in this world. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of especially the young women in sports because this is something like most men just get through sports. And it's such an advantage they have in the world that like our mothers never had, our grandmothers never had. And it makes me so fucking sad. Yeah. Well, and I think that that just really goes to show how the whole asinine debate about like, should trans kids be allowed to play Mm -hmm. sports? It's like... I mean, I have an entire episode where I would just rant about this, but it's like what you've just described, that sort of teamwork, that sort of working with others to achieve a goal and to grow and to progress. Why should any kid be barred from that? They should not. Especially those who, for the fact that they are trans, are already feeling alienated. So it's like you're going to further alienate them and push them down that road just because you don't I mean it's just yeah like I said I I can't get into it too much because it makes me too angry but like it just like what you've said just really call it's really important and powerful and it calls to mind how like all kids should be given that opportunity in the way that you know she makes sure that we're going to make accommodations for Matt Braddock and because they make modifications he's their best player the best player on the team is one that on other teams wouldn't even be allowed To try. Yeah. And it's the mindset leads you to that inclusivity. Yep. 
right? Because with that mindset, you can be inclusive because the goal is not to fucking crush everyone else and have the highest score in the world. Despite the name of your team. <laughs> right. You're going to crush the goal. You're going to crush your personal best. Christie's <laughs> crushers, everybody individually crushing their personal best. <laughs> Was Christie the first person to be crushing it in our culture? No, that's probably like, you know, you had crush groove. Uh, this is perhaps a little bit of a uh, co-opting of other cool things. <laughs> definitely. And it's definitely co-opting of bad news bears. For sure. For sure. But that's okay. Which I, which I loved because I love that okay. movie. Christie's team is definitely set up for better success, I think, than Bart's team. And I think it's because you're probably seeing a difference. You know, when you talk about the mindset, Christie is picking up a mindset from Watson. And so it just shows how impressionable kids are yes, and how they pick up the lessons that they are taught at home yes, and how then those lessons get communicated to others that they come in contact with. And so it's just how critical it is to make sure that people are being like really deliberate with the lessons that they are teaching their kids, both explicitly and implicitly, because they pick up on it and it doesn't stop with them. It goes out into the world. And so because Watson was patient with Christy and focused on her effort as opposed to her performance, all of these kids on her team yeah, are getting that lesson too. get to enjoy that. Yeah. As opposed to... And get to live it. Right. Bart, where we can probably infer that he's getting a different message at home based on the message that he's communicating to the kids that are under his responsibility. So no doubt you can spread good if you stay focused on making sure that the kids are getting that message from you. It's so funny. I took a, you know, part of my master's degree was child psychology. And there were lots of parents in that class who were like basically crying because they're like, why wasn't I pushed to take this class before I had kids? Seriously, because it's like it's not easy and there's not, you know, there's not a guidebook. But like child psychology is very different from adult psychology. And there's lots of things you can learn. There's a lot that we need to revamp about our educational system and sort of courses that people are required to take. And yeah, I think that that might be something that people should be required to take. Oh, I just wanted to say also what a magical town this is that everybody loves softball. I mean, it's like everybody's up to play. Everybody. Yeah. Anyway, I loved I loved the world where everybody was like, yes, I'll play softball. Something for us to aspire to. Uh, what did you have for most 80s moments? Well, the whole book, it was the most 80s book to me because... You had just the most 80s trope there is, which is the sort of rich, privileged, snobby shitheads <laughs> trying to oppress the ragtag, less privileged, less athletic, uh, less good looking group. This was every 80s movie and also living in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Those kids were dicks and they reigned supreme and there wasn't a lot of controlling of those kids. So I thought this was the most 80s book that there was. Yeah. What did you have? The iron-on messages on T-shirts. Yes. So in lieu of a uniform, you know, Mallory is like, go get those iron-on letters that you can get at Woolworths. So like a reference to Woolworths, too. Did you ever do iron-on shirts? We did. Also, just the idea that kids would be playing sports without the parents spending $500 on an insane uniform. <laughs> I mean, shit, I sound so old right now, but I'm going there. I'm Peter Griffin. You know what grinds my gears? <laughs> what grinds my gears is I see like five-year-olds in like thousand dollar uniforms. And I think to myself, how is that kid ever going to feel special when they play high school ball? Because I remember when you got into like a really good team in high school, 
you finally had a beautiful uniform right. that was supplied for you and you just felt like the shit. But imagine before you can even play the sport, someone's giving you like a thousand dollar kit. <laughs> I mean, I would destroy it immediately. <laughs> well, most kids would. But that's what I say. Like, you don't appreciate it at all because it's just given to you and it's an expectation. I'm going to, you know, be dressed to the nines for whatever sport I play. Yeah, setting the bar so high as opposed yes. to like, you know, when I played t-ball. You got your T-shirt that had screen printed the local (laughs) car garage place that sponsored the team. Sponsored it. Right. And it was like, ooh, look at my T-shirt. You know, you were super excited (laughs) about that T-shirt. It's like kids can be really excited about a T-shirt, you know, like don't set the bar so high for them that they peak at five. That's exactly exactly. So, yeah, that was definitely very 80s. Good ones. So I'm glad that we got to Christie's Crushers. Christie's Crushers has been a milestone that I've been waiting for for us to get to this book because I know how important it was to you. Yes. And we crushed it. And so now that we have achieved that milestone, we are going to take a little bit of a different path for the next set of episodes because I've actually gotten some requests from listeners wondering when we're going to cover the Netflix series. So the next episode is when we're going to start covering the Netflix series. So we're really excited to take a look at how this series has been updated for kids today and adults today. So we're going to have a little bit of a different schedule. The episodes are probably going to be a little bit shorter, but we're going to release them weekly. So starting in two weeks, we'll take a crack at the Netflix season one series so that we can hopefully be prepared to address season two when it comes out, because I know that season two has finished filming and it'll be nice for us to be able to tackle that in real time now that we've got the foundation of the characters that we've gotten through the coverage of the first 20 books plus super special number one. Sweet. I'm pumped. I'm super excited about that. But until then, just keep sitting. Satisfied. 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 Satisfied.